as I was singing that song, I could not help but think of John 17 where Jesus prays for those who would believe in him through the word that is going to be sent out through the apostles. And he prays this. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. Listen to this. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. When we sing that song, Jesus says, I have made known to them your name. And we know it is a beautiful name. And we know it is a powerful name. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. As I think of that, I I ask again. He says that I will continue to make it known. So let's start as we ask God to do that today as we look at his word. Bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you told us that you would make your name known. Continue to make it known. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would open the eyes of those who are blinded to your name right now. Lord, I pray for us who are perhaps sleeping in our spirits that need to be awakened again. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us. That you would fill us with your life as you came to give us life to the full. Lord, that we would not leave here thinking that we could just go back to what we were doing. But Lord, that we would begin as we always must to know you, to give our lives continually you. Give it to you. Lord, I pray that you would become sweet to us, that we would see you high and lifted up, majestic. Lord, we also have to wrestle over who we are. But Lord, show us your grace, we pray. If you would turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Very grateful for last week's message by Dr. Vanderweer on James 4. If you are not here, I suggest you listen to it online. Uh, but we have been in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, two weeks before that, Jasper covered over this idea of gifting. If you remember, Jasper talked about the fact that each one of us has been given a gift, and he has given specifically people, uh, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, not in that order, uh, but he's given them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then the week before Dr. Vanderweer was here, he talked about how each one is given and each one must use their gifting for the edification and the maturity of the body of Christ. And he talked about the dangers of not doing that. And one of the things is that we would be illegitimate children or weak children, victimized children, not illegitimate children, sorry, victimized children, that we would be led into deceitful ideas, led into different things that we would not be growing and maturing. I think about that picture. Um, Many of you have kids. Imagine if your son or daughter grew up and progressed in life and they continually acted like a baby. If they just kept wearing a diaper, they kept saying goo goo gaga. They kept sucking their, their thumb or their fingers, and they never progressed. You would know that there was something wrong immediately because the natural thing of being birthed is that you are growing. Same expectation in Christ. 
And so I think about this idea and this call for all of us to participate in this and to go forward with maturity. And I pictured uh, when Jasper's done, many of us were probably like, yes, let's go forward, let's go forward. And we're like, yeah, let's work together, church, let's do this. And then many of us are like, yeah. And then some just go like, yeah, that was great. Man, that was good. That's a good message. And we go right back over here what we're doing. And maybe some of the pastors and some of the people in your small group are like, hey, so come on, let's go this way. Let's go this way. You're like, yep, I'm coming. I'm coming. Let's go. Yes, sir, I'm coming. I'll follow you. Go right back over to what we're doing. And the guy comes back over and it's like, um, let's go. Come on. Hey, hey. this way. Ha ha. And the person is over here constantly going, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Yes, sir. I believe I'm coming. Yes, sir. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. And the focus keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back over here. You would be confused if the momentum of God by the Spirit is moving us one direction and you just kept seeing people going this direction, opposite, wouldn't you? They claim that they're excited, they're on board, they're going, we're going this way, we're going this way, and you just keep watching, turning back over to this. That is what our passage is dealing with because what we're going to see is that Paul addresses the fact that the new life in Christ that is given to us by grace demands something of us. It demands that you and I pursue growth into the character of Christ. That's what he said, that we would all mature, that we would all reach the full stature of God, filled with the fullness, going this direction, all of us together doing this. Except here's a hindrance that Paul knows is very real in the life of those who claim to be God's people, that many are going to walk contrary to Christ. They are going to evidence actually that there's been no change in them. And that is because there has been no change in them. Their heart is evidencing who they truly are. And I appreciate, again, Dr. Evander, we're talking about the problem is right here. It's right here. And unless God changes this, we're going to keep going back to this. And so we're going to look at evidences of a new life. But before he does this, he's going to explain what we were apart from Christ. So read with me Ephesians four seventeen, and we're going to read through 20. Paul writes this. He says, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice he starts off and he says, now this I say, this is flowing right out of what he's talking about in this maturity. He says, now listen, I gotta talk to you about something that is very important that you grasp. And I say this, and the word is declare. I declare to you. So imagine he's focusing. So he's got this group coming this way and he turns around and he says, now listen guys, this is what I'm gonna say to you and I testify in the Lord. If you claim him in the Lord, I declare this to you, you cannot walk as the Gentiles do, any longer. Do you understand this? You cannot do this anymore. And I imagine all of them going, yeah, yeah, we understand. He goes, no, 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 this is what it looks like. 
Notice the word Gentiles. I find that very interesting because many of the people were Gentiles. They lived apart from God. That word means those who were alienated from God, those who did not know God. As Ephesians 2 says, they were separated from the life of God. They had no hope without God in the world. I would like to put forward to you that this is actually talking about something more relevant to us. You must no longer walk as your American culture does. You cannot walk in the values of the American culture. You cannot do that. It is contrary to Christ. So if you see people living in the values of the American culture, Paul would say to you, watch yourself. See this. This is what it actually is. They're living in the futility of their minds. Think of you outside of Sunday morning. What do you like? What do you like outside of here? I think that's a very helpful test for us because here we can be known as one person. But God is saying, and he's going to reveal to us, that he knows deep in us, all of us. And so he's saying to them, listen, this is the characteristic of people that you might not see, but I see it. He says the first thing is that they walk in the futility of their minds. That word futility. Futile or futility is the word used in Ecclesiastes of meaningless, vanity. Vanity. It is the idea of a value exchange. In other words, you have something that is glorious. You have it over here and you're like, yes, this is amazing. But what the Bible says is that they've actually turned away from this and sought other things that are meaningless, valueless, and exchanged the glory of God for other things over here that are worthless. When we taught in the kids' ministry on Ecclesiastes, I love teaching kids the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the hardest books to teach kids. We didn't talk about Song of Solomon. We skipped one right over that one, just so you know. But we did talk about Ecclesiastes. One of the things we talked about was the fact of chasing bubbles. And I had the kids, I I blew bubbles in the classroom, and the kids had to catch a bubble. And I said, let's see how long. Who can keep a bubble on their finger for more than a minute? Now you imagine, the kids are trying to catch a bubble, the majority of them were popped instantaneously when they were trying to touch the bubble. Some of them, one, one got super lucky, because over time there's like this nice coat of soapiness that then allows a bubble to stay on it, and they catch it, and they're like, <gasps> and ev- I'm not kidding, every one of them just gathered around, gathered around, and they're like, <gasps> and they were like, don't breathe, don't touch it. They're looking at this li- tiny little bubble. And so I started counting for a minute. Guess what? It didn't last a minute. Gone. That's futility. Everything, I don't care how big the bubble is that the world blows towards you, it is going to pop and it's going to show itself to be meaningless. But you know what? Kids keep chasing bubbles. They don't see, they they love it. (laughs) If I see adults doing that, there's a problem. There is a problem. Because you know how fleeting it is to chase a bubble. You know that. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, they don't understand the fact that they keep pursuing things that are instantly going to be removed. At some point, it's going to be removed. It might be immediately. You, you seek this pleasure that lasts just a moment. It's gone. And then they turn around. I picture a guy who's walking and hits a dead end. Hmm, that's strange. Turns around, walks this way, hits a dead end. Huh. 
That's strange. Turns around to a dead end. Huh, that's strange. Dead end. Hmm. Could you imagine? That's futile. That's the idea. It never goes anywhere. You're just bouncing back and forth between different things in life, trying to find something that satisfies you. That's what he's talking about. That's how they live. That is how they live. I think of Romans 1 says this. Again, what did they, how did they get like this? You could answer, and it says this in Romans 1, verse 21. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, once you give up God, you've literally given up everything of good. And that is what he's saying to you. You can't say that you are in God and then act like you don't have God, who is the greatest good. So how does God see them? Again, this is how they've seen God and the futility of their minds they've turned away. But then God says, because of this, verse 18, he then tells us who they are. And he says they are darkened in their understanding. Again, thinking of reasoning through everything without God, the Bible would say that, first of all, that person is a fool. The fool says in his heart there is no God. So when you start reasoning without God, the Bible claims that you are living in darkness, unable to see clearly, even though they think they do see clearly. And that's the danger. But think about this. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, thinking that people are seeing what is light, and it is actual darkness. It's deceptive. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he talks about treasuring things and valuing things, but then he says in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. But then this, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See the danger there? The darkness is in their mind light. And the light is actually darkness. If the light in you, the good in you, is actually darkness, how great is that darkness? You don't even recognize that it's dark. People who are evil, it says if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. We have to get to the point where we recognize how dark we actually are in hiding away from God. And if your eye is bad, everything is dark. But then the deception is, again, Satan masquerading as an angel of light, is that these people believe there's light that they are seeing. And that light is actually darkness, and that is how great that darkness is. Jesus said it another way, the blind lead the blind. I don't know about you, but if you went on a tour of the Grand Canyon and your guide was blind, you would probably ask wisely for someone else. If you said, I would like to go to the summit in, uh, on Mount Everest, I'd like to go up, and your guide is blind, there might be problems. You know if someone goes, all right, guys, let's go, and then they bust out one of those things that extend and then start going like this, you probably are not following that person. But they don't know they're blind. That's the problem. They're darkened in their understanding to see things wrongly. And they don't even know it. The next thing it says is that you're alienated from the life of God. I think of this, alienated from the life of God. Only God gives life, true life. 
And how often the world is going to tell us that the joy of living life means you have to get rid of God. That's exactly how Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Are you serious? God told you that you can't eat from any of the tree of the garden? Did God say that? No. God's holding you back from enjoying. God said you can't eat of any tree of the garden. And Eve goes, no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was we can't eat of one. But he's putting in the mind, God's, God's withholding things from you. God doesn't want you to have this because when you do have this, then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't you want to be like, God is withholding things from you. You want to live life? You want to enjoy it? Then get rid of God. Isn't that all throughout society? God is withholding pleasure, joy from you. He actually hinders society. I think of a quote by Karl Marx, a great theologian, by the way. I'm kidding, he's not. Karl Marx, he says about religion, he said, it is the opium of the people. In other words, it's the drug of the people, making people almost hallucinate. And he says this, the abolition or getting rid of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. You want them to be really happy? Get rid of the illusion of religion giving them happiness. Then they'll be really happy. That's what he says. Isn't that the mantra of our nation? Stop fooling people. It's deceptive that you're trying to tell people that they need God. God is simply a hindrance, a crutch. That is exactly what he's always been, and that's all he's going to be. So if you want to live life and enjoy it, get rid of God. Do what you want. And yet the interesting thing is that God's demand of them, or sorry, his statement of them, is that they actually are alienated from life themselves. Every path that they go, as Proverbs warns, leads to death. It seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. And they don't even know it. And this is the path of all of us. I want you to know that. The next thing it says is that it's because of the ignorance that is in them. So they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, when you and I think of the word ignorant, you think of someone who doesn't know something, correct? Oh, it's okay. He was just ignorant. He didn't know it. Can I tell you that's not what this verse is saying? He's saying that they're ignorant because they have knowledge, they don't want the knowledge, and so they don't get the knowledge. They have the knowledge, but they don't want the knowledge, so they don't get the knowledge. This is very clear throughout the Bible in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. It's plain to them. In the Psalms class, we were looking at Psalm 19. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Does anybody live apart from creation? Is there anybody who hasn't seen creation? You drove here. Through creation. Creation is constantly testifying to the fact that God is there. They are not ignorant, but they suppress the truth. They don't want to know. I thought about what are things that I don't want to know and what would I reject as something valuable to know. Probably the Quran. Sorry, I just don't believe it's worth my time. So I don't read the Quran because I don't believe it's profitable. Okay, So I am ignorant of it. Because I have no desire to know it, I could know it, 
but I have no desire to know it, so I refuse to know it at all. Same thing. They, they can see God, clearly. They don't want to know God, so they reject all further knowledge of God. That's why they're ignorant. And it's all due to the hardness of their heart. He says it's right here. It's right here. Now, it's interesting that word, hardness of heart, is actually the, the continual hardening of your heart. It's hard, and he's like, they only want it to get harder. Nothing will penetrate that. They are unable of grasping truth because they don't want it. That's the condition of every single one of us. But I want you to know, again, this is all internal. Did you see this? Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is what God sees in every single person on the planet apart from his grace. This is the condition of all of us. That's what he sees. He knows everything about you. He knows the truth of your heart. He knows why people reject him. And he's told us exactly why. The heart, because of sin, is hard. Unable, unwanting, removed from God. And then he tells us, now, the way you know this is how they live. And so verse 18 is describing the condition of the person, but 19 is telling us what we're going to see. So these are things that you and I can see in the person. This is the evidence of a person who walks according to the Gentiles or the American culture. Notice verse 19. It says, they have become callous. They've become callous. I don't want to ask how many of you have calluses or where you have these things because that's your own personal business, but many of you know what a callus is. Over time, it is a spot that becomes insensitive. They're fun to poke with a knife, a needle, other things that are sharp, rub them against things because you don't feel anything. It's almost liberating. You just kind of jab it and nothing. This is awesome. You're like, watch this, kids. And then they tried. <laughs> Calluses. They're awesome. But here's the problem. If it's in our heart or if our whole mindset and our attitudes are insensitive to God, this is a very terrifying reality. This is the attitude that says it really doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I act. There's a lack of care towards people. I think of how the world tries to make us callous. And there's really two dangers to being callous. One of them is the normalization of evil in our culture. Can we just admit that if you watch a new TV show, you are waiting for the homosexual couple to show up in the TV show every time? You're just waiting for it. You know it's going to happen. Not to mention the normality of everything that you see on television is that sex, you can have it whenever you want, no matter how long you've known the person. Just go have sex with them because that's normal love expressed is sexual pleasures. Plus the perversion, as I mentioned, through homosexuality, affairs, affairs they're, they're kind of neat depending on if you really like the characters. Then, yeah, you want them to have an affair at times. There's constant gossip, slander, anger, violence, all sorts of evil that we just expose ourselves to. Let me tell you, that grows in our hearts a callousness to those very things. I think of the reality of I can watch a YouTube video of someone getting hurt and I laugh. Some of you are like, but that's actually funny. That's the problem. It's not funny. We have no sympathy for people. 
We're calloused. We actually use that as our entertainment. Are we any better than the gladiatorial games in the Colosseum in Rome? That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that guy, man? He just got hit in the face by that guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Watch this video. Share it on Facebook. Really? Calloused. Calloused towards evil. It's normal. This is expected. That's one way. The other one is just as evil, and it's callous towards what is good. Callous towards what is good. I think of the reality of coming here. Maybe, maybe you're here today, and you think about, man, we're singing those songs, and you're sitting there going, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Man. Mm. Could you imagine? Could you imagine talking about, oh, the gospel. Oh, man, we're going to hear the gospel again. Wow, I haven't heard that in a while. Gospel, that's great. Yep, Jesus died for my sins. I know, I know. I'm a wicked sinner. I know, I'm terrible. It's a callousness to glory. To glory. That's your attitude towards things. That, that's a calloused heart. You're insensitive to the moving of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you, invoking in you a praise of God. And you're like, mm, nope, I'm not going to react to that. I have to share with you a quote by C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called uh, Screwtape Letters, where it's writing from the perspective of a demon. And Screwtape is the uncle to his nephew, Wormwood, and he's telling Wormwood advice. And this is what he tells him. He says, listen, listen, you want to help someone get removed from God? He says, the more often he feels something and doesn't act without acting, he says, the less he will be able ever to act. And then he says, and in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Think of the danger of that. The Spirit of God moves in you. This is what it means to quench the Spirit, or that your conscience is seared. You don't care anymore about what God is doing in your life, and you don't act when the Spirit of God moves in you and invokes in you a response, a real response, because the Spirit is real and really inside of you and you say no what c.s lewis's warning is that you are just setting yourself up for a habitual pattern of callousness to the spirit of god and eventually you won't even feel it anymore you become so numb to it dangerous and here's the problem when you and i become calloused Again, evidencing a heart that does not know the Lord God. He says, this is what you actually show. When you become callous to the things of God, you pursue all manner of self-seeking pleasure. Notice he says, they've become callous, and this is what they do. They've, they give themselves up to sensuality. Give themselves up to sensuality. This is self-indulgence. My passions, my desires, they are my God. I pursue everything that is pleasing to me. Let me tell you, this is not just sexuality. Often when we think of sensuality, we think of, oh, it's talking about uh, perverse sexual actions. That's a part of it. But the Bible also warns a more subtle seeking of your own end. Think about people in the last days will find others who itch their ears. They, they find the things that they want to hear. You surround yourself with people who agree with your opinion. You start talking to people, and if they don't like what you're doing or what they say to you and they try to correct you, you leave and you go around people who will say it. That is seeking your own end. That is you caring more about your desires than about God. That's the warning. And then he says this. 
it's not just that you give in a little bit. He says, then you become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy. You're insatiable. It has to have more and more perverse actions because the, the thing that you participate in, it's not giving you the result that you wanted. We know that this happens. That you liked it for a time, but now it needs to be more. That's just, it's not doing it for me anymore. And so it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's the end. You become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It just, it's now whatever. Don't even care anymore. All because of a hardness of heart. He says, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is describing for us a biblical word called total depravity. This is the heart of man apart from God. This is what every one of us is apart from God's grace. Totally depraved. Now let me clarify, this is not utterly or fully depraved in the fact that every single person who does this is a mass murderer or a sex trafficker or a terrorist bomber. Like these, we, we think of like the worst person when we think of total depravity. This is the person who doesn't know Jesus who's the nice old lady on your road. If they don't know Jesus, that's them. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how much money they give towards nice things. I don't care how sweetly they talk to you. What the Bible says about them is God knows their heart. They have no life in them. They are dead. Their heart is heart. Well, their, their heart is hard, and they are removed from me. This is them. This is us, apart from God's grace. Can you see why Paul would say, you can't live like this? Is it, is it pretty clear that that is absolutely opposed to everything that Jesus has done for us? And that's why he says, and I love this, he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Let me ask this, church, how have we learned Christ? Just today, in singing, we've learned quite enough about Christ and the glory that Christ has done for us and accomplished for us and all that he is and how great his Love is for us. But see, this is where Paul, again, you can't, you can't get away from Paul, the, the passion that he has for Jesus Christ. You cannot stop him from talking about the glorious grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. You, can't, you cannot stop him because he says, listen, guys, you can't act that way because you haven't learned Christ that way. And I imagine Paul, if he had time, obviously he doesn't do this, but he's thinking about now all of the things that God has given to them that he's already talked to them about in Jesus Christ. I don't have to spend too much time thinking about Ephesians 1 through 3, but uh, Kelly started reading part of Ephesians 1 where she said that we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless before him and in love he's predestined us and that he's given us full forgiveness through his blood. And not only that, but he has given us of the spirit to guarantee our inheritance. And then he prays something that is absolutely opposite of the heart of the person here that he says that that you may have a spirit of wisdom. Again, not darken in your understanding. That you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart. What? Enlightened. Enlightened. Truly, so that the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in your heart. And that you would see it. You are not dark, is what Paul is saying. 
And you're not alienated from the life of God. I brought to you the news that you, Jew and Gentile, you're together. You were separated, but God has brought you near. And he's actually made you God's house. His house. And you're being built together. And the Spirit of God is in you. You're not alienated from the life of God. The life of God is in you like living water bursting out of you. You're not alienated at all. And you're not ignorant. And there's another truth. We do not have a hardened heart. I think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Listen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The deadness of your heart would be removed with the life of Jesus Christ. The actual person of Jesus Christ is in you. And that you would know his love that surpasses understanding. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And then you say to me, but I want to live like this. And Paul goes, that's not the way you learn Christ. You don't know Christ that way. There is no Christ that lives like that. That's exactly what Christ has saved us from. You can't live this way. You can't follow these trappings and the values of this world. You can't do it, guys. You have to pursue Christ because he's amazing. He's absolutely incredible. I think about the fact that God is able to change the inside of us. The very thing that we need is not just rules to follow. It's the change of the inside. Because you change the inside and the outside is changed. That's what he's saying. And so if you're living like this, here's the outside means the inside is not changed. That's what he's saying. You walk contrary to Christ, Christ is not in you. Where is he? You would repent of these things. We're not going to be perfect, but there's at least an understanding and a sensitivity. There's not callousness. If I walk up to you and say, hey, listen, really, we got to really think about what we're doing and valuing that. Listen, let's, let's talk about this. Let's reason through Scripture together. You wouldn't look at me and go, who cares, man? Leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. That is no place among God's people. None. He says, God's grace has come and it is magnificent. I think of the truth of a song that I love. It says this, wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching, listen, the most defiled. And then it says, by its transforming power, making me God's dear child. It's purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Let me tell you, church, Jesus is the only one who can make that change, that transforming power, is the grace of Jesus. He is the only one who can change this in you. If you find yourself, this is me, you need Jesus. Go to Jesus. Some of you might say, well, that might sound easy, but really, really, Charles, tell me, what do I need to do? I just told you. Go to Jesus. That's the only answer. You say, no, 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 really, give me something I need to do. Let me tell you, here's, here's some wrong responses. Wrong responses in regards to this message. Okay? This is what you should not do. Okay? Usually you talk about an application, it's things you should do. This is an opposite, a non-application. Do not do this. Okay? So put down non-application. Do not do this. One of the things that you must not do is go home and get rid of everything that you would consider worldly. Okay? And you go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Don't we do not want to live like the world? Well, let me explain it to you because one of the problems is you are trying to change the outside. Didn't we just say that that's pointless? You have to change 
the inside. There's only one who can change the inside. Typically, if we start changing the outside first, then we become totally sufficient in our own ability to transform ourselves. That is just as evil and demonic as people who reject God totally. Just as evil. It's just as wily and a deceitful scheme of the devil to keep you thinking that you, in your own power, can just remove things out of your life and therefore God accepts you. Lie. Absolute lie. Colossians warns about this. One of the things that Paul writes to the Colossians, and it's very similar, is that he talks about, you know, you, you try to do things in, in the elemental forces of this world. You've died to these things. He goes, why, do you, as you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? He says these things are only based on merely human commands and teachings. And then he says this, these have indeed, these rules and these human commands and these teachings, they have an appearance of wisdom, They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of, listen, no value, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh because the flesh is indulging itself because of this thing right here. No value. Again, futile in your mind. Isn't the world, that's what they're chasing? They're trying to change the outside and they think, oh, this is a good person. Look at how they've been reformed. They haven't been transformed. All you're doing is changing behaviors and making them think that they're better than they are, still damned in their sins, and yet we say, good job. Look at what you've accomplished. No, we are about what Jesus has accomplished. If we don't know what Jesus has accomplished, then we have accomplished zero, no value, no value. Let me put forward to you, if you do want something to do, and I said go to Jesus, so that is the first one, but the second thing is, think about how we got here. Again, Romans 1.19 says, although they knew God, listen to what they did not do. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. It says that's why they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So think of it like this. Honor God and give thanks to him. Turn over to Colossians with me really quickly. Colossians. We're going to start in chapter 2. I do appreciate Jasper giving the challenge for us to read larger portions of Scripture before you. That's a great opportunity for us as a body of Christ to wrestle over the Word of God together. I'm going to spend some brief time in Colossians. Chapter 2, look at verse 6. Notice, for some of you in your Bible, maybe the heading says, Alive in Christ. Great title. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Again, that is not the way you learn Christ, Paul says. He says, this is the way that you've learned Christ, that you are to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So when I say go to Jesus, it's because you're rooted in him and you're only built up because of him. That's it. He says, notice, abounding in thanksgiving. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Here he says, stay close to Jesus, rooted and built up in him and abound in thanksgiving. Two things. Look over at chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting at verse 15. Some of these passages you might know. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, 
going to Jesus, finding Jesus in his word. Then you're teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You're singing, again, not calloused. You're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name or to the honor of the Lord Jesus. What again? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. In three verses, he says, give thanks. A a, a variation of honor him and give him thanks in three verses. Honor God and give him thanks. Honor God and give him thanks. Because if you honor God first and you put him ultimate, guess what? Compared to God, the world is nothing, isn't it? It's nothing. As Paul says, I look at the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and compared to him, everything else is rubbish. That stuff is garbage. And yet God says, through Paul, that God has given us everything to enjoy. So there's something of giving thanks because the problem is idolatry looks at the gift and forgets the giver every single time. And so this world, the world is following the trappings and they want to get the gift and say, forget you, the giver. The heart of the believer says, no, I recognize the gift and I turn and I thank the giver. I say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. And it's not the false piety of the guy who says, thank you, Lord, I'm not like so-and-so. It's genuine humility who says, God, apart from you and your grace, I would not have this. And you know what? This is from you, so if you take it away like Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because this isn't my all. You are my all. So I'm always going to honor you. I'm always going to give thanks to you, whether or not I have it. And Paul says, that's the secret of being content. That's the secret. You want to chase everything in the world? You're never going to be content. Secret of being content is recognizing, first of all, the honor of God and the thanks that you should offer him for the things that you have or that you don't have. Because it is God who is first and foremost the ultimate. And let me tell you something, that this is why God does things in our life to challenge and test our faith. I'm reminded of 1 Peter. After 1 Peter 1, he talks about this idea of the testing of our faith so the genuineness of our faith would be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But notice 1 Peter 8, he says this, and I love it. Though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you what? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, that is the point of why we are saved, because God has saved us to love him and to rejoice in him. Because we're looking forward to the fact that we are obtaining is the outcome of the very thing that he saved us from. The salvation of our souls is not for the glories of heaven. They're for the glories of God. The glories of God And that we will love him for all eternity and rejoice in him and enjoy him for all eternity. That is the point of this message. And so Paul reminds us that no act of devotion really counts for anything but only this. Faith working through love. It is not based on you. It is the work of God in you pushing you to love him. And that is evidenced by your faith in him. Church, God is glorious. He is wonderful. He is to be valued above everything else. And Paul says, if you want to live for the world, you're evidencing a heart that has not been changed. But for those of you whose hearts have been transformed by the grace and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let us walk that way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is marvelous for us to think about the fact that you have truly changed us in a way that is 
absolutely beyond our understanding. I think of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, that you are able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, Lord. And that has been shown every single time you bring salvation to people on this earth. And it is why all of heaven explodes in praise to you. And Lord, that is also why in Revelation that the angels constantly say before you that you are worthy to receive all glory, honor, and praise because you have redeemed a people for your possession. Lord, we are a part of those people. Lord, I pray that you would open our mouth to sing your praises, to honor you, and to give thanks to you, and to tune our heart in that direction. Lord, I love that image. Because, Lord, so often my heart gets out of tune. I start praising myself. I start looking at myself. I keep looking at the things of this world. Lord, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Lord, point us again to the glory of the gospel, of everything that you've accomplished for us, Lord, that you did not leave us on this earth in our own strength, but you've granted us your spirit. So, Lord Jesus, strengthen us by your spirit to love your word and to love you because of it, Lord Jesus. We do love you. Amen.